Not too long ago in the West African country of Ghana, a kind of economic miracle took place. Ghana's economy, its GDP, doubled in size. And just to compare, in the United States, we're lucky if we get 3% growth. So Ghana's jump was astronomical. The average Ghanaian's income doubled. And all this happened in one day, November 5th, 2010. So everyone just got richer. <laughs> well, according to the statistics, you know, it's not like as if they suddenly got richer. It's just the, the numerals and the reality parted ways. This is Morton Yervin, an economic historian at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. He's an expert on the way African countries measure their economies. And when he says that Ghana's GDP parted ways with the country's economic reality, what that means is that Ghanaians really were better off than the numbers indicated. That doubling, that miraculous doubling of the average Ghanaian's income in 2010, that was the result of a massive effort to bring the numbers back in line with reality, to make the GDP actually right, or at least closer to it. We hear about GDP numbers all the time. And what GDP is, is an attempt to measure the size of a country's economy, how much a country produces, how much its people spend and earn. All that is supposed to be reflected in this one number, GDP. It's an actual dollar amount. In the U.S., the largest economy in the world, it's $16 trillion. In Ghana, it's now nearly $40 billion. But before they updated their number, it was $15 billion. People talk about GDP as if it means something solid, as if it's a mathematically derived and agreed upon fact. But with every geeky conversation we've had over the last few weeks about GDP, especially in Africa, we have become more convinced of this reality. GDP is a very wobbly fact. What GDP means in one country can be completely different from what it means in another. GDP is mushy. It's malleable. It can change in a day. And craziest of all, when it does change suddenly, even when it's what the UN called a statistical illusion, that illusion could still have a major impact on millions of lives. You've been checking on my facts and I admit I have been lax. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Jess Jang, a producer here on the team. And I'm Marianne McCune on loan from WNYC Radio. Today on the show, we're going to take you behind the GDP curtain, where it turns out there is a lot of guesswork going on. We'll tell you about the dusty little offices and dimly lit corners of the world where GDP numbers are crunched. We'll talk about how those numbers crunched in those dingy offices can take money out of the hands of one person and put it into the hands of another. It can influence decisions rich people make in boardrooms in New York and London. It can even help determine the success or failure of a tech startup in sub-Saharan Africa. Hard to overstate the significance of the GDP. Everybody looks at it. Governments, banks, and the most central tool for funneling money from rich countries to poor countries, the World Bank. How important is the GDP to the World Bank? Oh, GDP is very important. Marcel Higale is a director at the World Bank, and it's his job to try and reduce poverty in Africa. That's the World Bank's mission all over the world. And one of the major ways the World Bank determines who needs help and what kind of help they need is GDP. 
countries with higher GDP, they'll get directed to one area of the bank where they'll get money, but they'll have to pay it back with some interest. But if you have a low GDP, you get directed to a friendlier area of the bank where you get a much sweeter deal. Oh, a country that is poorer probably needs more grants and more donations than loans. So for us, it's a very important measurement. So a country with a low GDP per capita will get more attention, really cheap loans. And if its GDP is really low, it might get free money. At the World Bank alone, $35 billion is being doled out based in part on this one number. But a lot of experts say that this number is often flat out wrong. And to understand how wrong, let's look at the way GDP is measured in a place like Ghana versus, say, the U.S., In the U.S., we're constantly measuring our economy. We get data from hundreds and thousands of businesses across the country saying, this is how much we made, this is how much we spent. We get data from the IRS showing how much people are making. We look at financial statements, and all of this is updated all the time. If the U.S. economy were a medical patient, she would be getting a checkup every few months, getting weighed, measured, checking her pulse and heart rate, and in one of the swankiest medical facilities you can imagine. So that's the U.S. The process is much different in Africa. Morton Yervin wrote a book about Africa's economic statistics called Poor Numbers. He says the statistical offices he saw, they were not swanky places. The statistical office will often be at a, in a rundown building off the main road, on a dirt road, behind some trees, dimly lighted, and you enter a building in which... Many, many of the desks are unoccupied. Very few desks have computers on them. Very few are sitting down to do their their actual job. Morton says, don't get him wrong. They're working really hard, and many know what needs to be done. They just don't have all the resources they need. Case in point, while the U.S. is measuring its economy constantly, Ghana, before 2010, its last checkup was in 1993. Every year after that, Ghana would just estimate its economic health based on the 93 checkup. They might make a reasonable guess in 1994, still maybe making okay guesses in 1995, 1996, 1997, 1998. It might get a little bit out of tune. And it turned out by 2010, guessing in this manner had resulted in missing, you know, half of the economy, more or less. So they've been guessing every year since 1993? Yes. By 2010, Ghana hadn't been on a doctor's scale for 17 years. And a lot can happen in 17 years. During that time, the country had gone from a dictatorship to a pseudo-democracy. It went from a primarily agricultural economy to a much more urbanized and service-oriented economy. And entirely new technologies appeared that were barely on the radar in 1993. For example, mobile phones. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Yeah, the mobile phone also came in. Yes, the mobile phones. I spoke with Magnus Abo Duncan on an especially bad cell phone line. He was in Accra, Ghana's capital, and he told me he worked in Ghana's statistical office for 23 years and was part of this effort to remeasure Ghana's economy. It's called rebasing. Not freebasing. Not free, but rebasing. 
And Magnus says when they started doing their surveys and gathering the data they needed for the new measurement, they uncovered tons of things that had been happening in the Ghanaian economy that they had not realized were so huge. He says he was actually surprised by how big parts of the economy had grown. There were lots more lawyers and barbers and taxi drivers and roadside restaurants than they thought. Magnus says when the final numbers did come in, the thing that floored him the most was just how much the service sector had grown. All of a sudden, it was 50 percent of the total GDP. Wow. So it means that (laughs) you were undercovering this activity very much. For years, they'd been underreporting so much activity. So now Ghana has this shiny new number. It's much bigger and it's more accurate. But this has thrust Ghana into a potentially scary new reality. It has moved the country from low income to middle income. And that means losing the comfort and benefits of all the World Bank aid that's reserved for low income countries. All those sweet deals that Ghana was getting before 2010 This jump in their income meant that those sweet deals would slowly come to an end. We talked to Sebastian Spio-Garbra, a guy who analyzes markets in places like Africa and who also happens to be from Ghana. And he says this loss of international aid has already had an impact on the most vulnerable people in Ghana. So one of the arguments that um, some of the academics there have made is that the average people or the people at the bottom of society who actually need healthcare and education and uh, other things which foreign aid often supports become even more vulnerable. Sebastian says the hope is that as this aid gets cut off, it will be dwarfed by the new money that comes in. When you go from poor to middle income, you can move beyond the World Bank to, well, the world. People all over the world who have money and who are looking for places to lend it. People at banks, at hedge funds, and most importantly, what's known in finance speak as the international bond markets. For instance, if you think of Ghana 10 years ago or 12 or 15, 20 years ago, you could not have imagined Ghana going to the international bond markets the same way Russia or China or Argentina or any of these countries can go and raise money. I mean, back in those times, if Ghana needed a capital project, it had to go and beg the IMF or the World Bank or uh, some foreign country to help it. So I have a sort of silly question. Aren't international investors smarter than that? I mean, don't they recognize that this is just a number that's changed, not any reality on the ground? No, they are not. (laughs) No, they are not. They're busy and they need a quick way to compare one country to another. And GDP, no matter how flawed it may be, it's the best they have. All right. So you've got these people with money taking a second look at countries that have updated their GDP, made it more accurate and flashier. And maybe some of these investors, maybe they're looking to give their money to someone like this. Hello. Hi. Is there a train going by? I'm holding the microphone. Meet 29-year-old Nigerian entrepreneur Zubair Abubakar and his partner, Bayo Purikom. They're not in Ghana. They're in Nigeria. And Nigeria is planning to do the same update of its GDP number, the same rebasing that Ghana did in 2010. Right now, Nigeria is on the low end of middle income. But when it rebases, it's also expected to catapult into a whole different realm it will likely surpass South Africa as the leading economy on the continent. And Zubair thinks even though nothing on the ground has changed, 
changing the GDP number could help him and a lot of other entrepreneurs like him. Just, you know, just giving that good impression that, yes, something is going on in the country, uh, things are getting better. It's like Nigeria putting on a really nice suit. Exactly, exactly. Hey, who doesn't want to be friends with a nice-looking guy, right? Zubair and Bayo were on the phone with me from Lagos, and to get better reception, they actually went up to the astroturf-covered roof of their office. Downstairs is where they invent these cool applications for Nigeria's low-tech cell phones. Like this game, where players pretend to drive the notoriously wild buses that these two could actually see from where they were standing, these stubby yellow passenger vans that crisscross the city. Yeah, because the drivers are aggressive, they drive rough. They can be very unfriendly. (laughs) The goal is to pick up as many passengers as you can while weaving through traffic and evading cops. For these guys, Nigeria rebasing its GDP really could have an effect. That's one of the really good examples of where this can have a positive impact. John Page used to be the World Bank's chief economist for Africa. Now he's with the Brookings Institution. It's a new idea. It makes people better off. You or I might debate whether I certainly would prefer that (laughs) some of my nearest and dearest didn't spend as much time on video games as they do. (laughs) Well, they also did a whole app that allows you to carry the Nigerian constitution in your phone and access it whenever you want. There we go. So, you know, but I think this is this is a terrifically good example of how this can really be of help. The hope is that this will work that these flashier GDPs will attract the kind of investment that really helps a country. The combination of money and expertise that can help a startup find its way or grow a factory and spread capital and knowledge to all corners of the country. That's the kind of thing that will lead to real GDP growth, growth based on actual changes on the ground. That's our show for today. If you have questions or comments, send us email, planetmoney at npr.org. We always love to hear what you have to say. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can hear some of our music on Spotify. I'm Marianne McCune. And I'm Jess Jay. Thank you for listening. Thanks. You got it all so-